Oh. Um, do you have anything to start with? I don't think so. Although I did have a moment today where Uh, I had a moment today where I realized that I have to find a different job. Today this happened? Yeah. Because we, I had to go to a meeting today. <clears throat> so I work from home on Mondays. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was a meeting scheduled today that I had to go to for... <clears throat> it was just like... Uh, IT wanted to get like an overview of our processes basically. And it turned into this two hour long, like it was the, like usually when people are like meet, you know, they're like meetings, right? I hate going to meetings. It normally <laughs> on the inside, I'm like, I love going to meetings yeah, because it means I'm not sitting in my office doing nothing right? right, or waiting for something to do. This was a meeting where I was like, okay, now I understand why people hate going to meetings. This was completely a waste of time. Mm -hmm. But by the end of it, so the meeting was like with me and my boss, with a handful of people from IT, and then from kind of like the heads of the various other uh, departments within our area. Mm -hmm. And then the... Uh, the director of the whole thing was there mm -hmm. because he's the one with all the ideas. Right. And so by the end of it, it turned into a thing where it's like, uh, they start talking about timekeeping. And so my job, I more or less maintain this, Asset management software, right? We use the software to track life cycles, to track maintenance done on equipment, on just various other mechanical things, mm -hmm. right? Well, our department head now wants to start using it to track man hours. Um, and so him and Kamai T are like tossing ideas back and forth, and the Kamai T people are like, well, when someone goes to a job site and they say they did the work, how do you know exactly that that work got done? <laughs> With this, they can take a picture when they first get oh. there, and then they can take a picture as soon as they leave. And it's like, it just starts getting to this oh. territory of like, just really kind of gross, mm -hmm. micromanaging, like the kind of like quote unquote efficiency right. that only comes from people who have sat in an office their entire life and think that these field guys are just bottom feeders yeah. who are there to leech as much money off of them as possible. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I spoke up at the end and I gave my two cents, but it just is like, it's one of these things where it's like, I'm, and I'm going to be once my boss retires next year and I take over that position, I'm going to be central in implementing this <laughs> kind of technology and managing it and all this. And I just, <clears throat> I really want no part, part of it yeah. part of it whatsoever. Yeah. So I feel like you'll be like a, a corporate snitch. 
Exactly. <laughs> right. Like I'm I'm going to be a tattletale basically. Yeah. Um and look and coming from like and like look look, I understand that there are guys that do that, but like as someone who was a field worker mm-hmm. and like worked my ass off, like that's really insulting to me. You know right. What I mean? And it's also like you're none of this is going to stop somebody from not doing work. Right. They're just going to find a more creative way to lie to you. What you realize and I would almost say this is true for any industry and something that you and I have been talking about um, is like the, the gross correlation of like CEO pay and right. like the average worker pay. And one thing that you realize, I feel like as you get older is you realize like half the crap that is implemented in terms of administration or like company corporate policies or whatever are just to signify that something is being done. Yeah. Right. Like, like so at the end of the year, if somebody's like, so what have you accomplished? It's like, Hey, listen, we restructured our whole organization. We got better oversight over our, you know, blah, blah. You can just corporate speak your way out of anything. Exactly. Right. If we don't keep them under thumb, they are going to take us for everything we have, basically. <clears throat> and this is the other reason why. Is I, I'm I'm I've realized that I if I'm going to work. For somebody else. Whatever it may be, I need to work from the from the minute I show up. So the minute I leave, I need to be doing something Mm -hmm. to keep me distracted from the fact that I'm wasting my life working for somebody else. (laughs) Right. Like as a groundskeeper, I could show up to work at 630 in the morning and leave at 230 in the afternoon. And during that entire eight hours. I could have cut grass nonstop. Mm-hmm. And when I leave at 2.30, there is still more grass to cut. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They will, I will never run out of grass to cut. <laughs> right. Whereas now, I, this happened to me last week. It was like on a Friday. But like two weeks ago, I show up to work on Friday. And Fridays are slow because outside of the office staff, the field guys work 10-hour days. So half the people are off on Monday and the other half are off on Friday. So Mondays and Fridays are always really slow. So I show up Friday and it's like I get there at seven. There's like a guy waiting for me outside of my office. And then like from that point forward, it's just like people streaming in and out. They've got stuff that needs to be done. I've got stuff that gets set up and I'm like working at this fast pace and I'm like doing stuff nonstop. And then I finally get a moment to sit down like, man, this if this was my job every single day, this would be fine. I'm, I'm helping people. I'm doing stuff. I'm right. getting stuff accomplished. And I look down at my, at the clock on my computer, and it was 7:45. 45 minutes had gone by, <laughs> <laughs> and for, like for the rest of the day, I saw maybe three people, <laughs> uh, and it just is like excruciating. Yeah, I you know I don't know, man. I feel like we um. Yeah, I was talking to somebody today. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I I guess I have nothing else to base our experience of like 
a nine to five off of. But I feel like this, yeah, like we live in the gig economy where it's like my job is not opening up more opportunity for me. My job is keeping the lights on. You know what I mean? Right. I, I saw a tweet the other day where like people were were uh, dragging this um, report that came out that was like, by 36, you should have double your yearly salary saved away yeah. for retirement or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, people are like, yeah, by 36, I have like two functional chairs that I can right. use in my yeah. house, you know? Um, and I just feel like, I don't know if it is like, there's no reliability that you work that nine to five that it will create opportunity for you, whether that's opportunity to like buy and own your house, opportunity to like save up for, you know, a vacation or uh, college, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how anybody's doing it in like this structure of things unless you're like in computer software stuff mm-hmm. or like in another safe industry or like a rock star or something I, i'm we're, we're helping a guy who has a uh he has a phd in biology can't find a job coming back for an undergrad degree yeah. in like computers i i just don't see like the same opportunities out there and i just feel like i don't know man i feel like you and i and I could be way off, but a generation before we could be working these jobs, but having legitimate conversations about like buying a small business one day, like, Hey man, just, you know, keep working at your job for five more years. And I've got 20,000 saved. And mm-hmm. you know, w- with your extra 20, then we can go in and buy a, and just do something on our own. Right. Mm-hmm. Have, I feel like stuff like that was more achievable. Whereas now it's just like, Everything seems out of my reach other than working this job that I'm just thankful to have. And I can't see any way up or like, you know what I mean? There's not like, yeah, I don't see a path up in my, in my job. I just see like maintaining and hoping for raises. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And those raises will be incremental. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, this area apparently is really bad in terms of like, uh, vertical movement in your job Mm -hmm. but also at least with uh where i work it's like you know the once the recession hit everything dried up Mm -hmm. so it's like my little group is like uh three five people six people i've been there the least amount of time which is six years with this department nine years overall and it's basically my boss in terms of like a structure it's my boss it's then it's me and then it's four other people one of which is a temp the three other people below me all make like seventy thousand dollars a year (laughs) because they've been there for right 30 years right and right before the recession hit everything was like Oh yeah, here's your uh annual 5% raise as long as, you know, your boss fills out this performance evaluation which is a total joke, right? And then since and then the recession hits and it's been like, okay, here's your half a percent raise uh once a year. <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much all I've gotten since I worked there. 
And and like you said too, the gig economy is like you know you look at employment numbers are down or unemployment numbers are down, but a lot of that is due to the well you work you drive an Uber now for twenty hours or how many hours a week yeah. so you're technically employed, and it's also not for whatever reason you know I'm not an expert but it's not leading to an increase in wages. Wages are still stagnant despite yeah. unemployment being at, you know, historical lows. So. Yep. And, and so I don't know, man, and I, I don't see a way out up or through. I just see like clinging on to your little piece of driftwood and you know, right. I don't know, man. Growing up, I always thought like, or I, I'd hear like my dad hitting opportunities as he like met people. And I was right. just like, Oh, that's how it's going to work for me. But it's like you realize now everything is based on qualifications because everybody's fighting for jobs now. And there's no like, hey, I know you. You're, you're a good guy. I'm going to recommend you to Tim, you know, and they'll slide you in. It'll be great, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know, man. I don't know if it's worse than it ever was before, but it feels pretty bad. Yeah. Um, I realized, did you take a look at our share document at all today? I did briefly. I actually had a surprisingly busy day, but I oh. looked at it briefly. Uh, I realized the first thing I put on there isn't very um, podcast friendly, um, but I thought it was funny. I, um, so th- this may not work out. If you can, would you please uh, click the, the I love libraries bumper <laughs> <Yeah>. sticker? <laughs> Except... It's cut off, right? Uh, okay. Was that part of the bumper sticker? <laughs> okay. I thought, because I was looking at it on my phone. I was like, maybe this is just like an error. On <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, that's exactly what I thought. I was driving behind somebody today and I saw this bumper sticker that was basically like book lover or something, but it wasn't book lover. I couldn't remember the phrase, but the bumper sticker itself was like, black and red like it looked very aggressive mm-hmm. and, it, and it was just an odd thing for like a like it, it was a very aggressive sticker for a book lover to put on right um like a bad boy book lover yeah that's what i was expecting it's like i only read stephen king You're you know right. <laughs> um and uh and so i just like the the pictures i had weren't good quality so i was like oh i want to try and figure out where that where that sticker's from and so I just type in what I thought it said, and the first link it takes me to is a place where I guess you can buy bumper stickers, mm-hmm. and it just says, I love libraries, but the I and the heart for love is like completely cut off. <laughs> and so it's just like the bomb of an eye, the bomb heart, libraries. Right. <laughs> and I was like, that is the only bumper sticker I, I think yeah. I want to buy out of all the ones I've seen in the last few months of taking notice. Yeah. Um, I thought that was funny. I have this uh, Deadpool 2 thing. Yeah. But I feel like maybe we can hold on to it. I don't know. I, it's up to you. I've been trying to work through it, mm-hmm. and it ju- it's just a mess. It's just I a I feel like it probably stuff. falls in that same area of, like, this is a thing that I like, but I don't like that I like it. Right? Yeah, but but it's not even that. 
It's like I feel like a sociopath when I go to movies like Deadpool 2. I feel like a disconnected, you know, uh, emotionless observer. Mm-hmm. And there is a piece of me that is like, so, so, it, so basically I saw Deadpool 2. and this is not about anybody else but me okay okay but i kind of hated myself for going to see deadpool 2 right and if i look at it from like why am i here there are there are reasons but they probably don't elevate above the level of excuses you know Sure. And so I started with like, genuinely, I'm interested in what the director of Deadpool 2 does mm-hmm. based on what they did in terms of like. They, Which is who's the director? So he did the first John Wick. And I was like, well, you know, at least the action scenes will be interesting. And I tried to trace that back to, I remember being a kid and I liked like John Saul. Clive Cussler, mm-hmm. Michael Crichton, uh, Stephen King. And I would try and read like all of, if I started reading an author, I'd try and read all their books. Right. And I also liked the classics, but the classics also had a limit. And it, and it translated into film, mm-hmm. where in film you have like these neorealist movies that again a lot of quote unquote quote unquote critics love okay you know and uh and then you have your more like genre fair okay that quote unquote critics hate right and like pulpy stuff right and and i have ingrained in me i guess like since i was a kid like a love of just a good pulpy genre story sure that goes from like arachnophobia watching that as a kid and jaws and like any other indiana jones jurassic park well yeah but i mean the last three movies you just named are also like critical favorites yeah well so that's kind of what i'm hinting at is like those are good like blending of the two the meeting of the two right like this is art and Mm -hmm. this is also just exciting and interesting Mm -hmm. and but i would still like seek out uh like clive custler novels which are like objectively not not great not good Mm -hmm. you know uh but there's like page turners and i'm just like i would just like read it and even now like my audible account is full of books that i haven't really enjoyed but i was just like oh that's an exorcism story i'll give that a shot mm-hmm. and just never lives up to like what i'm expecting but i'll just keep going back to the well over and over and over again and it, that's kind of the same thing with like deadpool the the issue with deadpool though what what made everything heightened in deadpool is that deadpool is like the the perfect like it's the platonic ideal of what i struggle with mm-hmm. and especially as i get older where I can't approach Deadpool 2 without also approaching Deadpool, the 7-Eleven, you know, spokes icon or whatever. <laughs> or like, 
reading about like, oh, Deadpool, they cut out a 21st century Fox joke because yeah. Fox didn't like it or whatever. Have you actually seen the Deadpool ad at 7-Eleven? Yeah, see, I, I can't. I can't. If I did, I, I could not live with myself, right? Like the two become blended in my mind. I was mind. getting gas the other day and I look at the top of my gas pump and there's a Deadpool thing that just says, hey, you've got gas. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> something like that <laughs> there's a post on reddit today that said basically deadpool has become m- the minions for nerds <laughs> okay so he- here's some of the things that I kind of wrote down and again this probably doesn't make sense but anyway this is me trying to work through this stuff and again if somebody else likes deadpool go for it Sure. Right. This is only me right. dealing with my own issues. Okay. But I, I said, uh, it, it's a crass corporate product camouflage as an irreverent, uncompromised film. Deadpool's product crossover is particularly absurd. Would not a true Deadpool fan in the spirit of Deadpool refuse to visit those establishments in which Deadpool's like shilling for, mm-hmm. you know, it seems counter to the very nature of what the thing is, right? Mm. But weirdly, it's the corporations that come off as more Deadpool than Deadpool does. They don't care about the product or the consumer. They know the quote-unquote fans will come in for the collector's cup and they'll make a bit more profit. You know? Well, right. The corporations are the ones who are actually giving the finger to everybody. That, that's what I'm saying. Right. They're, they're, by aligning themselves with Deadpool... And then sticking Deadpool holding a Slurpee, giving a thumbs up or, or with him standing over your gas station saying, you got gas. <laughs> they are the ones who are like, screw you. Yeah. We don't care. Mm-hmm. We don't care who is on our door holding the Slurpee with their thumb up. We know that it has some relationship to you and you're going to come on in here and either keep coming to us regardless of of who's there yeah or you're going to come to us for this specific reason that we have like the rick and morty sauce or the deadpool slurpee cup mm-hmm. with a hole in the bottom right. or you know what i mean like whatever it is and uh and so i just feel like it it is something it, it's a film that takes place on a level that basically is like this is crass this is corporate this is compromised. There's no way around it, right? Like I can go see Ryan Johnson's Star Wars and feel good about myself because I feel like Ryan Johnson has a specific, you know, kind of cinematic perspective. Mm-hmm. And even though I think Star Wars might just be as like greedy as a as a uh, as greedy a franchise as there could be. In terms of how many films are we cranking out? What stories are we telling? Let's just keep them going because people are watching. Right. <clears throat> at least you can say like, at least you can trick yourself with like, well, Ryan Johnson, you know, mm-hmm. or like Marvel has gotten more compromised. I feel like with, with, you know, you, you hear about like Edgar Wright not being able to, to do the film they want. Or like with Solo, you know, Phil Lord and Chris Miller can't do the film that they want. Mm-hmm. You see this like, Again, this institutional interference that makes you wonder, like, hey, how compromised 
is what I'm watching. Right. You know, how much of this is a Ryan Johnson like joint and how much of this is like a corporate system that Ryan Johnson was allowed to like, right. You know, pilot, yeah. not, not even pilot. Yeah. Just like spin the wheel around. He's allowed to dress it up. Yeah. You know, but, but in Deadpool too, th- there's not as much that you can hide behind. You, you just see like a corporation being like, Hey, see, we can have fun uh, w- with ourselves and we can like poke fun at everything and mm. you know, whatever. And, and we're cool and we're hip and don't you like it? And yet you watch Deadpool too. And you're like, this is not saying anything like it's not doing anything, which again is my main point, I guess is that Deadpool two is not a good movie. <laughs> and what I found interesting, did you even watch, um, Batman versus Superman? No. So <clears throat> I feel like I am starting to, to, to draw lines, right? I feel like right now, and we'll, we'll check this in a few months. And I will be embarrassed if I'm there opening weekend. But Venom to me is a clear line in the sand right now. Like that, that is something that I cannot cross. There's, there's not enough draw in terms of filmmaking or whatever else. Uh-huh. Well, I've seen the trailer. It just looks ridiculous and absurd. And I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Unless something comes out that makes me like truly, genuinely interested. You have films like, um, like what, what was I just talking? What did I reference? Not Deadpool Batman, 2. Batman Superman. Batman vs. Superman. Where you're like, Zack Snyder is a nightmare. And I kind of have to see this. Uh-huh. Just in terms of like, what did he do? Like, how could he screw sure. it up even more? So I waited until it was like on Netflix or whatever. And I half watched it. I did like three other things. But the core story of Batman vs. Superman hinges on the fact. Do you know what brings them together in the end? No. Do you know what stops them from wanting to kill each other. <laughs> Batman <laughs> learns that Superman's mother's name is Martha. <laughs> okay. And that's the name of his own mother. Oh, wow. And he's like, your power- mother's name is Martha. Stuff. My mother's name is Martha. <laughs> I can't kill you. We're linked. We're united. We right. both have mothers. But not just mothers, but they have to right. be named the same. Or Martha. else he would have killed uh, Superman. Martha's, yeah. And so Deadpool 2. Cable's the big villain. Okay. I go, I watch. And I, I was a fan of Cable, at least. I remember reading like X-Force comics and stuff. And I was wondering like, how are they going to make him like a villain? Because he's not necessarily a villain, right? And from the first action scene where he and Deadpool are fighting, I was like, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Because there's a scene where Deadpool's like, what is wrong with you? Why are you trying to kill a kid? And he will not explain his motivation. And do you know what ends up bringing them together in the end to fight on the same team? Cable tells him what he's trying to do. That's it. That's it. He, he just needed to explain what he was trying to do. Right. And then Deadpool would have been like, oh, well, this is the way we can work together. Right. But he can't do that early on or else you don't have them fighting. You don't have the cool action scenes or whatever. Sure. You just have a, a, a plot based on a character withholding information for no reason. Just like you have Batman versus Superman finding out that their mother's names are Martha, you know, and Deadpool too makes fun of Batman versus Superman. And you're like, you are in the same pool, you know, you're, you're both, you're in there with them. Yeah. So you're not really like distinguishing yourself. That's the joke, Keith. 
is it the joke? The joke is on me then, right. you know? And the so joke anyway, is that they can make a shitty movie because that's funny. Yeah, it, it kind of what I basically like fell back to was I feel like the problem is it's the idiocracy conundrum, which we've mm-hmm. talked about in here. The film idiocracy involves a lot of people who are responsible for entertainment. It's on the level of what idiocracy makes fun of. Mm-hmm. And yet they're all in idiocracy and they're either in on the joke or they're not in on the joke. And I, as the audience member, don't know which is which. I don't know what to do with it, mm-hmm. you know? And it, it's, it always bothers me. That's the problem. I, the main problem I have with idiocracy. And with this, I feel like the problem is, is that anytime somebody says like, hey, I'm going to work within a studio system, but I'm going to make something irreverent. I'm going to make something challenging and unique and independent and whatever. Is that there's an element of trust that they're asking for. Mm-hmm. Like, then you, you're really going to understand what you're parroting and you're going to bring something new to it or subversive. And I always equate it to like, I remember the first time that I took a film studies class and like learned about the visual language of Hitchcock and how Hitchcock was working within these kind of standards where you weren't able to show like sexually explicit images or even talk about it. So he would like find images that would reinforce the idea of what he was going for in the filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So he made like a G rated film that actually is like R rated in its intention and what, what it's showing. You just can't really see it. right? Right. It's like the, the shower scene in psycho where you, you think you see a lot more than what you see. Just in the way that he filmed it and cut it and all that stuff. And so, like, with this, they're like, hey, trust us. We got this. But then, like, just like with everything else, you you realize, like, we as humanity do not, like, have the capability to transcend our own, like, ignorance and shortcomings. So here's my final philosophical statement on this whole Deadpool issue. Mm -hmm. All right. that, and and one issue is like the writers didn't know what fridging was. Do you know what fridging is? No. Fridging is when usually a woman is killed or incapacitated as a way to motivate the male hero okay. of the story. And it was it was coined by a lady who I think writes comics, where basically like this comic that she liked or was working on like literally stuck a character's wife, like her body in a fridge. Like that was the image they, that motivated him. Right. right? And, um, it's usually like absurd and and unnecessary or whatever. And Deadpool two, like fridges, it starts with Deadpool two, Deadpool twos. (laughs) That's how much a character is. He is his own sequel. Uh, Deadpool's wife is killed. Uh-huh. in the beginning and then it's just like in heaven for the rest of the movie uh-huh. <laughs> so and you actually get to see her in heaven yes you get to see her in heaven and he visits her a few times and she's always there like in soft focus like how does he visit whispering. her in heaven he kill he dies he's he's uh immortal basically okay. so anytime he tries to kill himself he'll go there and then he'll come back so anyway how does, how does deadpool get to heaven Shouldn't he go to hell? He, he fights for the good side, Justin. You really need to watch these movies. I you guess ha- you so. have a reason. I've got Dead, Deadpool completely uh, 
mislabeled, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and so anyway, um, they, they, when they're confronted with like, Hey, did you know, like, were you aware? Like, why did you fridge his wife? Mm-hmm. And they're like, what's fridging? And you realize like, yeah, these guys don't have yeah. any like deeper knowledge of like the thing that they're taking on in terms yeah. of all of comic books. Yeah. And, and one of my fears honestly was like, I'm going to watch this movie. It's just going to drip with like disdain for the audience there it's basically going to be like one long middle finger to everybody who showed up to this thing to be like what you want like this is what you want and it's not that Mm. at all it it actually is like really sincere in what it tries to accomplish i would argue maybe too sincere Um, but anyway um so i i basically said there will always need to be compromise in in this screwed up capitalist system, it takes real care and thought to navigate uh, this system, and we will never uh, be able to do it as a species. <laughs> the writers can't know everything, and through their own fault and or not, they will always be ignorant of some things. I will likewise be ignorant, willing or not, of some things. This is an example where I hope that I have recognized enough of the compromises. I will not go back, but we will have to wait till Deadpool three. <laughs> My fear is that I will be back opening weekend, wondering what the hell everyone there's doing me. Most of all, mm-hmm. you know, I just feel like we all have to make compromises. What Deadpool promises, this kind of irreverent thing is never going to, to live up to that. Well, I would say not just is not going to live up to that. I would say that within the studio system that it's being made, it's impossible. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about Deadpool. I've never read the comics. I, I, I mean, maybe I just don't completely don't un- misunderstand it. But I, I think to in order to like lampoon and criticize and satirize, you know, these huge figures and to be like this sort of like sub subversive figure i don't i think that maybe not impossible to do within a major studio system but it it walks right up to that line and even if you were able to figure out somehow how to do that on a major studio budget they're not going to let you make a second one (laughs) yeah you know what i mean yeah like to me, that's the most damning critique of Deadpool is that there is a sequel. You know what I mean? If he was this actual like edgy, like burn every bridge, take no prisoners figure, he would not have a second movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that was one of the side questions I had for you. It's do you think it's like a genre of film or just the budget of a film or just the studio of a film that restricts it from being something that is like truly uncompromised in terms of its, its vision. Um, like what is it? Because I, I don't agree that like genre films can't be uncompromised in terms of, you know, their, their, their approach, what they're trying to do. I think a lot of times genre films are the ones that, seem easy to market mm-hmm. and so that's what gets uh, that, that that's what distracts so like again people have this m- misconception of like critics hate 
just fan movies, you know? It's like, no, they, they, they don't hate it because of the genre. They, they do hate it because of the compromises inherent in that specific film, mm-hmm. you know? That is something that I cannot get over at, the, at this point in my life. Um, whereas before, when I was younger, I felt like, yeah, I could take things as they are presented to me. But now, yeah, I can't get gas at 7-Eleven anymore, stare at Deadpool, and be like, yeah, I'm going to be there opening day and buy my ticket. Right. Because what am I expecting? I'm getting the 7-Eleven Deadpool. That's what I'm getting, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and any kind of, like, compromise or, or any kind of move towards, like, irreverent identity is going to be a half move. Because, again, corporations are weighing in, like, um... Yeah, you, you can't make fun of us. Right. You know? Oh, 7-Eleven is a sponsor. Don't, don't have them get a watered-down Slurpee in your movie, you right. know? Or whatever. It's right, just, yeah. This, this merger is so shaky that a Deadpool joke could ruin it. So uh, That's the thing. The merger with it, Marvel. Take it out. <laughs> oh, exactly. Right? Like, yeah. And, and here's the other thing, too. It's like this film stars T.J. Miller. Right. Oh, if I was TJ Miller and I was in a Deadpool movie and all of a sudden all the stuff that I'm doing came out, I would be nervous because I would think that they would like go out of their way. Even if the movie was getting released the next day to like make fun of like call me out on all my sexist and insane behavior. Mm -hmm. They'll mention it once. Yeah. They'll mention it once. It's like, no, he's a, he's a buddy of mine. We're not going to make fun of him. Right. Well, that's what you get. I get. I get. I mean, not. I guess. I know. I know. They. It did have one. Like, I know that you don't like it when I use the word "great," uh-huh. and I maybe need to kind of make sure I'm I'm laying things where I want them to be, right? In the on the scale, but it does have like one really really strong mm-hmm. segment that. Almost made it worth it. Oh, and there's like a 60 plus year old lady in front of me who was there alone. Mm-hmm. And she's like kept mildly like shaking her head through the whole thing, but she stayed for the whole thing. And she was somebody who I wanted to talk to afterwards. And be like, <laughs> oh, and also I love how like in the Deadpool movie, there's a scene where Ryan Reynolds comments how like everybody in the audience left their kids at home and a baby with a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Not everybody left their kids at home. <laughs> there were a lot of kids there. Yeah. <laughs> Next up. So did you get to read the uh, articles I linked to? No. What articles did you link to? So the main topic that we kind of didn't really talk about, but you just kind of mentioned in a text that I found some stuff on. Okay. So I was thinking about too is what I've termed the new political center, Mm -hmm. which I think is like the nexus of all the things we've been talking about, like with groupthink and with conservative activism and all of that, I feel like really what we're talking about is this immersion of a new political quote unquote center. And it, it's, it has some like names. Um, is it neoliberal? I feel like is one of the new terms. 
which is basically just a nothing yeah. uh, term yeah. used by people who are like secretly alt-right but want to come off as being like more liberal. You know, it's it's libertarians, you know, who are don't want to call themselves libertarians. Well, no, no, no. I think neoliberals like the pods of America. Guys. Okay. That's it's the not- guys who are pretending to be kind of like more socialist. But in reality, they're just pushing the same Democrat, liberal, you know, basically like left classical of, liberal. Okay. That's what I was looking for. Have you heard that term? Maybe. The classical liberal, liberal quote unquote, is the person who's too scared to actually say what they believe in because mm-hmm. what they believe in is not liberal at all. And they're just trying to find a new term to hide behind, Mm -hmm. which is what I think is the function of this new political center, um, which is basically hiding personal agendas behind a like call for civility. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that got us or, you know, that you sent to me, we were talking about is the Julia Iofi tweet, Iofi, about Aaron Schlossberg. Mm And Aaron Schlossberg is the lawyer in New York who went on a racial mm-hmm. racist tirade in a restaurant because some of the employees were speaking Spanish mm-hmm. in Manhattan and he threatened to call ice on them. Mm-hmm. And apparently he had some other. Oh yeah. He's all over issues. the place. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> which I'll also say like, I think he's all over the place in, in more ways than one. Like I don't think something's wrong with his head. I think. Oh no, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, but what you have then is you have people who are like, other videos are coming out where he's like freaking out at people. Mm-hmm. And then he starts getting like approached by reporters. And he's like constantly running away, mm-hmm. like turning to face a wall. And all of this stuff is being reported. Like he lost the lease on his law office and right. all this stuff. And then you have, you know, these centrist quote unquote reporters coming on being like, hey guys. There are real people involved here. Let's let's remember. Yeah. And other people are saying like, yeah, real racist people. Like, what are you arguing for? You know? Yeah. I mean, that's what was interesting to me about it is because I. I feel like. There's a point to that where I'm just concerned that because of the environment that we're living in now, the political environment, and sort of, you know, how tense everything is, that in however many years, 5, 10, 20 years, it's going to look like just two extremes, like, headbutting each other. You know what I mean? Whereas like obviously the stuff that Schlossberg is saying is insane and indefensible and disgusting but at the same time is the point not to like bring as many people over to your side as possible like the point is not to be like my ideas are right and your ideas are wrong and you no longer have a voice, right? I think the point is 
my ideas are right. Here's why they're right. And I don't want you to go away. I want you to change your mind. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I don't think that that is like there's a part of me that sees. Did you see the video where he runs away? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a part of me that watches that video and loves it. Right. And there's a part of me that loves seeing him get all the shit that he's getting and that he deserves to get. But at the same time, there's also part of me that is like, first of all, like I said, this guy is like something's wrong mentally, like something's wrong with his head. Like he's he's unbalanced. Right. So that's a concern. But. There is also part of me that's like, ultimately, don't we want this guy to understand why he's wrong and what he's saying is wrong and ultimately to be like see the error of his ways you know what i'm saying but well i think that you and i are probably going to approach this from different angles i linked a um article on here that is from a website called the outline and i'll just read the i i skimmed it. oh did you skim it yeah so uh, the, the title of this article is It's Fine to be Mean to Racists That's and Ghouls. Right. Yeah. The smug morality of journalists rarely serves anyone but themselves. And I think that there is a line between, or maybe, maybe this is where I probably want to have the conversation. Um, what's his name? And I'm so glad I actually for- forgot his name. Richard Spencer. Okay is giving an interview and somebody runs up and punches him in the face. Right. And people it start there with a split. Some people come out and they say, it is okay to punch a Nazi in their right. face. And other people say it is never okay to punch anybody in the face. Right. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if we can draw lessons from what happened from there, but Richard Spencer's largely done. I yeah. mean, he is like begging for money. He's begging for money. He's begging for a platform. Mm-hmm. He's now like been, you know, moved past. Yeah. Thankfully. Right. But what, but, but, so, I mean, I don't want to draw that to the fact that like people punched him in the face and, and that's how serious they took him. That's why he didn't get a platform. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'll just put that on you. Where would you fall on that? specific well i instance. mean we talked like, yeah we talked about before and i don't think my feelings have changed on it i am of the idea that you shouldn't be punching anybody in the face now this is uh you know like i don't want to be dramatic but like in the in an instance of richard spencer's on the street giving an interview no, you do not run up and sucker punch him in the face. If, you know, something, if he is inciting some sort of violence or the circumstances are different, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling for like a, like a, whatever you want to call it, like, like ultimate, uh, what's it called? Pa- I'm not being like, I'm not, I'm not advocating for like being a pacifist, right? Mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, like, yeah, more or less, we should not be violent with each other, right? Watching that video is one of the most satisfying moments <laughs> of the year for me. And yeah. I've, I have watched it recently, right? Right. If it shows up in my YouTube recommended <laughs> links, I will watch it. Yeah. Right? I love watching it. It is very satisfying. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, uncalled for. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm also not like trying to justify this strange uh, lane that like mainstream media has gone down of like all the profiles of like alt writers and, and Nazis and Nazi sympathizers. Like that's not what I'm talking. Like I don't consider that stuff to be like genuine really. Like a lot of that I think is just like, I mean, maybe well, I, when I, it, I call it like dressed up clickbait. Right, it's like exactly. Clickbait for the intelligentsia. Like, right, exactly. Maybe when this stuff first started, I can understand, hey, this is what it is, a piece or two. But to keep doing it and keep going back to that well, it's like, it, yeah, it just is. It just is, yeah, clickbait at this point. But I think ultimately, I mean, again, to talk about Daryl Davis again, like we did last week or a couple weeks ago, like this is a guy who is. This is a black guy who is converting KKK members. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like on an individual basis, like one at a time. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know how he does that. You know, I don't know. That's, I, 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 that's not something he like set out to do. You know what I mean? It just was something that happened that he just started doing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I feel like, um, So, yeah, I think that it's, it's important to draw a distinction. And I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that we should go around endorsing punching people mm-hmm. that we don't agree with. Now, the fact that the person who got punched is a literal Nazi right. is very satisfying. Uh, and I don't think that there's necessarily a dichotomy there, you know? In that I don't want to perpetuate the violence on anybody. Mm-hmm. But just like if you watch an old woman, you know, take a step off a curb and break her ankle, you're going to run over and like help her and be like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. If somebody's dressed in Nazi regalia and they step off a curb and they break their ankle, <laughs> you're just going to laugh. Step on their ankle. <laughs> right. Right. Or like just stand there and laugh at them. Right. Like and, and that sure. is that is right. That is good. Yeah. That is. I don't have any moral qualms with people doing that, you know? Um, yeah, sure. But I think what, what the distinction is, so in one of the articles I sent you, it was a Daily Beast article about Dave Rubin. And yeah. do, do you, know, you know Dave Rubin, right? He's, yeah. yeah. Um, and Dave Rubin says uh, Larry King is his like mentor idol, right? <laughs> and Larry King uh-huh. is, is known for like, just asking the question, letting the person answer sure. it. He just kind of sits back and crosses his arms. He just kind of like asks questions and yeah. that's it. He doesn't like then comment on it. And Dave Rubin says like, oh, I like to do that. Right. Uh-huh. But there's a clear distinction between what Larry King would try and do and what Dave Rubin is doing. And Dave Rubin is actually like signaling a perspective oh, yeah. yeah yeah more than that like in the daily beast article it shows like 
he like will speak at turning points, which we talked about, right? The uh, grab your musket, fight for freedom. Yeah. And he was in a conservative college's um, like video series about why, why somebody, why you left liberalism, mm-hmm. right? And he's up there saying like, yeah, it's been hijacked by all these like, you know, uh, people who are identity politics, right? Which is the mm-hmm. other key word, buzzword that people hide behind. Oh, I'm just against identity politics. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you're against like, like say, say what you're against. That doesn't mean anything, right? That's just a, a straw man. Um, actually put some details there. And um, it, that, that's what I think I'm trying to, to argue against. I am not for, especially when somebody's mentally ill, um, attacking them. And that goes to like, I had a run-in with somebody who, it was just a very bizarre run-in at work. And I told the story to some people and, you know, the person who I had this experience with is like on social media mm-hmm. and people started like following her and started sharing all the stuff that she was posting. And at some point it just made me feel bad. Right. Because she's just not healthy. Yeah. You know? And um and so I'm not for that. But she also was not threatening to call ice on people. You know? She she was not like threatening to make people's life worse. And she wasn't violent in a way that I think Aaron Schlossberg has shown himself to be. If you see like all of his videos right. of where he's like popped up. Yeah. Um, and so I think that those things are distinctions. And so I, I am, I want Aaron Schlossberg to know that his views are not tolerated. Yeah. Like in the strongest ways possible. And I also want to label people who are giving shield to people like that. Um, and I would argue like, Dave Rubin is maybe more nefarious in the sense that he gives that Joseph Watson guy from Infowars, like he gave him a platform and like mm-hmm. was like fawning over some of the videos that he produced. That guy's a straight up like mm-hmm. conspiracy theorist, yeah. like false flag nut job. Like he does not deserve a platform. Does he deserve to be doxxed and to have his like identity, you know, taken mm-hmm. and credit compromise and life ruined. Well, that's the, that's what I find most interesting about it. And before I go on, I do want to say that the Larry King thing is, is funny. I didn't know that because Dave Rubin is an idiot, first of all. Yeah. And it's funny that he looks up to Larry King. I was just what I just saw a clip of Larry King when he was interviewing Jerry Seinfeld. Have you heard about this? No, it was right after um, the Seinfeld series finale. And Larry King asked him if Seinfeld got canceled. <laughs> and Jerry was just like, he's just like, Larry, do you have any idea what Seinfeld is? <laughs> um, but that, that's Larry hiding behind his like method where he's like, listen, I don't bring my own perspective to these things. Right. I just ask questions. But it's literally like, listen, I don't know what I'm talking about. Therefore, I let the person have right. the floor. Yeah. yeah. But it, <clears throat> yeah, I thought that was interesting because my introduction to the Aaron Schlossberg thing was. <sighs> this video comes out. 
you watch the video and then like the very first couple responses I see are people saying like, who is this guy? What's his name? Right. Where does he work? And my first thought is, wait a minute. I thought that was bad to do to somebody. I thought that we weren't supposed to be doing that. Right. You're not supposed to go after their work. You're not supposed to go after them personally. What, well, here's the thing. What would you say to somebody having a racist, like we talked about the dad that you saw at the zoo screaming at his son, right? Mm. What would you say to the person who is like literally screaming at workers at the zoo, threatening to call ICE saying that this is America and blah, 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 blah. And then they're wearing like a company shirt where they're like, you know, and they clearly work for that business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like. Wouldn't one of your potential options be to call, you know, Johnson Johnson Plumbing and be like, hey, there's a guy here with your shirt on. I believe he works for you. Sure. And he is screaming racial epithets at people. Yeah. Um, and threatening to call uh, ice on them. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, I mean, I, I think there's something about what do you plan to do? Right. Do you plan to like go and burn his business down or do you just want to say like where does he work i am i am conveying or i'm passing this video along to their employer because they need to see that yeah i mean i i don't have a problem with it i've never really had a problem with it the problem comes in which is what i feel like Julia Yaffe was trying to say the problem comes in when it's your side that's being attacked, right? I have no problem saying, yeah, this Aaron Schlossper guy, especially this guy who's a lawyer, this guy should not like be a lawyer, right? Like he is a hardcore racist. Mm -hmm. I would not uh, expect him to operate like fairly in any court. Right, based on the behavior I've seen from him. But the reverse side of that is the woman who makes a joke about AIDS before she gets on a plane to Africa. Yeah. Right. And then people start going after her job. I literally. And so then it, but then it becomes, so then it's kind of like the compromise is like, well, okay, we just can't do this. We just can't go after people's jobs. See, when really it's like, it's, it's, you know, this disingenuous attack from the right is how I see it of, you know what I'm saying? Well, you, you do this, so we're going to do it right back to you, even though we know it's, you know, we're like purposefully misinterpreting it. It's like what um, Mike Cernovich does, like, like what he did with Sam Cedar. Yeah, I, I, think, I think my thing, though, is, well, are, are you saying that Sam Cedar does the same to him? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that people like Richard Spencer get deplatformed or people like or Milo, Aaron, right, or Milo or whoever else. And Cernovich's take on that is you're going to do it to us. Well, I'm going to do it back to you. And so he's going out and deliberately misrepresenting stuff yeah. to try and get people fired. I, I think whereas we have a video of a guy yelling racist things to people, mm-hmm. threatening to call ice on people. Like, like that's not being deliberately misinterpreted. Yeah, I, I just saw literally today a, a tweet 
where somebody was like, can we please stop using that girl that, that, we, that we've referenced that John Ronson wrote about in his mm-hmm. book? They're like, can we please stop using her as a martyr of like online? She was just promoted to like vice president of like. Oh, was she? So yeah, <laughs> like she is doing just fine. Sure. You but know? I mean, the, 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 the principle the itself still stands. So yeah. So here, here's the thing though. I feel like what separates the two in my mind is like one deals with consequence and one deals with like retribution, you know? Where if you are on tape being openly, aggressively racist, Mm -hmm. the consequences of that should be that your employers see the video, Mm -hmm. that your family sees the video, that your friends see the video, and that you are appropriately like dealt with by each of those people. Mm -hmm. So either your boss puts you on a leave of absence or fires you or does whatever, and the people closest to you like come together and try and get you the help you need or maybe help confront you with like why those things are not right to say or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think part of that, and, and I think some people online can, can misread intention, right. Of somebody being like, where's he work again? They might just be trying to pass the video on. And I think the other thing too, is like, there are no roles online. Like I largely chalk up anything that I hear like in a podcast in terms of like, oh, I think they missed that point. Mm-hmm. I chalk that up to like someone else will catch it. That's not my job because that person who said that wrong thing on that podcast is going to get a hundred emails. Mm-hmm. They don't need the hundred and th- from me, right. you know, being like, oh, um, you know, when you said it was 1997, it was actually 96 when that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just leave that to the, to the internet. And when stuff like that happens, there's no arbiter. Like everybody becomes the arbiter of that justice. Like everybody's like, I'm going to send it to his employer and boom, 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 boom. And you got a thousand people who are like all trying to like l- let the people know who should know, know that this happened. Yeah. But I mean, my point, I think my and, point and, is and that, that, that's not mob, like to me, that's not mob <laughs> justice, right? Yeah. But my point is that to a lot of people, probably Aaron Schlossberg is not a racist. And what he said in that cafe was not racist. <clears throat> and to a lot of other people, the tweet about AIDS was racist. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I, but I think, again, the people who would say that what he said in that restaurant is not racist are people who likewise need to have consequences for their views. Like, I don't think that anybody can hear what he said there and come out with like a debatable going back to that, that groupthink idea. Like nobody can can hear what he said and come out with a debatable side and be like, all you're going to come out of that is with an argument on like why people need to speak English in America. Like it's it's a absurd racist idea to have, you know, Mm -hmm. or that employees can't communicate how they want to in their business. like. If a local bakery wants to talk in pig Latin, mm. that's their business that they can talk in pig Latin to each other. If that's the easiest way for them to communicate, you know, orders or whatever. Right. I don't have the right to go in there and be like, it's in America. Don't you speak pig Latin in here? Yeah. You know? So, I mean, like th- there, there is no debatable issue there. And, and, and I think that again, like what Julia Ialfi was like conflating 
this idea of like mob rule, which mob rule is just mindlessly like going against something that they perceive as a threat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get like the people attacking um, the hunchback of Notre Dame and whatever, right? Just not understanding what they're attacking. Or you have people who are in social media, again, blurs these lines of people who are like, I want the people who he works for to see this. Mm-hmm. I want to see the consequences of this person's thoughts and ideas. And that is just like, that's either human nature or that is right. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like one of the two. It's like I get cut off in, in traffic and a guy breaks a traffic law and then like goes careening off into the, into the side rail. Like I'm going to look at it and be like, good. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's not like, that's not wrong. You know, it's just me observing like the universe taking justice and being like, <laughs> yep. Sure. So as Aaron Schlossberg runs away from interviews of people saying, hey, you want us to know what you think because you're yelling in, re- in restaurants, yeah. come and, and just answer these questions. And he's running down the, down the street. A piece of that is like, that's not him getting punched in the face. That's him being called to account for like, you think your ideas are worth knowing. Let's, let's hear your ideas. Mm-hmm. And him run, literally running from it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm just a little, uh, maybe I'm not confused. Maybe I just didn't realize that people agree with the idea, finally agree with the idea of like, if we're going to make any progress, we have to start like leaving people behind. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. If you hold certain views and you're unwilling to change those, then we're no longer going to spend the time trying to drag you to our side or trying to meet you in the middle. And we're just going to uh, move on without you, basically. You know, I, I, you've said it perfectly. That's something that I've been struggling with. I think that you encapsulated that um, <clears throat> better than I could have. and. What it made me think of is this Dave Rubin article. This is such a long article. I'm not going to be able to find it. But I want to say that um, in this Daily Beast article, free speech, true believer, Dave Rubin, the top talker of the, quote, intellectual dark web, doesn't want to talk about his own ideas. Um, It's the whole title of the article. Um, But in it, he... They, they quote him as saying what he thinks the quote-unquote left that he rails against all the time, mm-hmm. which is, again, a term that I've spoken out against on this podcast a lot, is like there is no the left, right? right? That is just, again, a straw man that you're attacking that everybody gets to project what they think onto that mm. and, and identity politics, right? But what these people are, are are hiding in that are these really truly regressive ideas that are not up for debate yeah like the culture has settled some of these discussions and no longer do they need to be debated like sorry the cat's out of the bag like yeah. dave rubin it also is like the perfect example of somebody who like 
checks boxes. Like I love to like a dog whistle is, Hey, I'm pro legal marijuana, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is Boehner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that is not signifying you as like, Hey, cool cats. I'm one of you all, you know? Yeah. So I'm pro marijuana. By the way, I totally think that we should like not just build a wall. I think we need to elevate all of America, like 400 feet off the ground. Yeah. Like that we literally need to be like a mountain of a, you know, right? Like they have really regressive ideas of how we need to like not interact with anybody in the world and let anybody in. We need to get people out who don't look like us or whatever else. Like that is regressive. That is not something to be like, hey, come along on this journey with me. They're like dug in. They're saying, this is what I think and believe. At some point, yeah, I think our society is saying like, okay, bye, see ya. You guys can have your, again, this intellectual dark web corner and you can like cry and shout all about it and Mm -hmm. you can join the men rights activists or the people who come out and say like, did you see that comic who came out and he's like, "Uh, uh, straight white male is the new N-word, you know? And oh, like, yeah. And yeah. there's a Food Network guy. Yeah, the Food Network guy. Yeah. And like, again, people are like, yeah, go into a restaurant and yell the N word and then yell straight white man, see how people react. Like, right. it's not the same. You're, you're crying over something that's just like a natural progression of the society away from you. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something you just want to like sit in your pile of dirt. And like, like, I'm not moving from this spot. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Then we're moving on and we're not going to stop to be like baby you as we like get you up on your feet to understand like diversity is good. It happens. And mm-hmm. oh, there's diversity in my past, you know? Yeah. Or like Tommy Laharen, who's like saying all this crap about immigrants, like two generations before her ancestors like came over as immigrants, you know? And you're like, it's, it's just... You, you can't. You can't with people like that. You just got to be like, have the intellectual dark web space. Have the New York Times opinion you know, page space. And we will just, we'll just keep moving on. <laughs>